the ninth plague, darkness. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, and there will be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness throughout the land of Egypt for three days. One person could not see another, and for three days they did not move from where they were. Yet all the Israelites had light where they lived. Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, go, worship the Lord. Even your families may go with you. Only your flocks and herds may stay behind. Moses responded, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings to prepare for the Lord our God. Even our livestock must go with us. Not a hoof will be left behind, because we will take some of them to worship the Lord our God. We will not know what we will see, or excuse me, what we will use to worship the Lord until we get there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was unwilling to let them go. Pharaoh said to him, Leave me. Make sure you never see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you will die. As you have said, Moses replied, I will never see your face again. Yeah, you may be seated. Man, that's a wonderful way to end that little bit of reading there. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, we thank you for the privilege of coming together to study your word. God, we pray that you would just open our spiritual eyes and ears. So right now, I want you to be praying. Pray something like that, that God would open your spiritual eyes and ears, that you would hear and see what he wants you to hear and see. God, I pray that you would convict me where I need conviction. Can you pray that? That you would encourage me where I need encouragement. God, we pray that this whole time comes under your kingdom authority rule. We pray that you'll reign and rule over everything that happens here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so we're going to start off a little bit different this morning than we usually start off. So I got, as in part of my introduction, I've got about a two-minute video that I want you to watch, and this will kind of help us understand kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning with the whole plague of darkness. So just, I guess you guys, are you guys ready up there for this? We're ready? Okay, go ahead. Matter as we know it. Atoms, stars and galaxies, planets and trees, rocks and us. This matter accounts for less than 5% of the known universe. About 25% is dark matter and 70% dark energy, both of which are invisible. This is kind of strange because it suggests that everything we experience is really only a tiny fraction of reality. But it gets worse. We really have no clue what dark matter and energy are or how they work. We are pretty sure they exist, though. So, what do we know? Dark matter is the stuff that makes it possible for galaxies to exist. When we calculated why the universe is structured the way it is, it quickly became clear that there's just not enough normal matter. The gravity of the visible matter is not strong enough to form galaxies and complex structures. Stars would more likely be scattered all over the place and not form galaxies. So we know there is something else inside and around them. Something that doesn't emit or reflect light. Something dark. But besides being able to calculate the existence of dark matter, we can see it, kind of. 
Places with a high concentration of dark matter bend light passing nearby, so we know there's something there that interacts with gravity. Right now, we have more ideas about what dark energy is not than what it is. We know dark matter is not just clouds of normal matter without stars because it would emit particles we could detect. Dark matter is not antimatter because antimatter produces unique gamma rays when it reacts with normal matter. Dark matter is also not made up of black holes, very compact objects that violently affect their surroundings, while dark matter seems to be scattered all over the place. Basically, we only know three things for sure. One, something is out there. Two, it interacts with gravity. Three, there is a lot of it. Dark matter is probably made up of... Three things they know. That's interesting, because looking at these three things that they know, I think that I've got a pretty good idea of what this is. Because there's something out there, what they're saying is, they don't know exactly what this is. And they're saying that there is, it's there, interacts with gravity, and there's a lot of it. So they can't really measure it, but they see that, you know, they, they're looking at these, this started in the 1920s, by the way, that they would, they would look at these galaxies that are far away, and they would see how that they were orbiting around their sun or whatever it is, and they would look and they would measure it, and they would see the velocity of it, and they would say, there's no way that that velocity, that just that one sun in the middle would have that much of a gravitational pull on it. So as they looked at that, they're like, there's something else there. So that's when they came up with, they didn't call it dark matter at first. They called it invisible matter. So dark matter came on a little bit later. So they can't see this, but it's got a gravitational pull. So then later on, in the 1970s, with the Hubble telescope and all that kind of stuff, they could look out into space, and they would see that when they would hit the light, would hit these, this, what they call dark matter, that the light would actually go around it. So they can see there's something there, and something powerful, and even it would make the light go around it. So as they say, yeah, there's something there, interacts with gravity, and there's a lot of it. So what does the Bible have to say about this is always going to be my question. How about you? Is that what the Bible says about this? The Bible says, and we'll get this radiance part in just a minute, speaking of Jesus, that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So he's holding everything together. So what I'm saying is, is that, I'm gonna lay this out in front of you, is that what the scientists are seeing there, and they can't, they can't explain this, this gravitational power, that's, that it's more than anything else they've ever can see or measure, I'm saying that it's the power of Jesus' word that's holding the universe together. And that's what they can't see. I'll say that's not really dark matter, I say it's more like light matter, okay? So it's interesting, though, the radiance right here. I want to talk to you about this Greek word, and that Jesus is a radiance of glory. I want to show you this. It's so good. Apagasma. What apagasma means? Really, this is this, a better translation for this. The reason we won't use this is because we don't use this English word right here anymore. This English word right here, effluence, it means a person or their expression emanating joy or goodness. Let me put that in the verse for you. Jesus is... The emanating, he is the joy and the goodness of the glory of God. Jesus is the joy and goodness of the glory of God. Y'all with me this morning? That, I mean, that is who he is, and he's holding everything together by his power. Listen, everything was created through Jesus, and without him, nothing was created. He was there at the very beginning at the creation. He is God. So, 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, are you in Christ? Are you saved? Are you born again? Say amen if you are. Amen. Here's what Jesus says about you. Sermon on the Mount, he says that you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights say, okay, now lamp. Let's talk about lamps in the darkness this morning. Now, it goes from talking about you being a light to start talking about this illustration. He uses a lamp. A lamp. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Actually, the better translation for that word would be a bowl because they would use, this is the word they use for a measuring bowl when they would measure grain and stuff. It's a solid bowl. Because I think of a basket. So I grew up, my dad was a farmer. And I think about, you know, sweet potatoes and baskets like that. This was more like a bowl, okay? So no one lights it and puts it under a bowl, but rather on a lamp stand. That's the purpose. The lamp goes on the lamp stand. Why? To emanate the light. And he gives light for all who are in the house. So, see, another problem with this is that we're not living in first century Israel. Okay? So we don't, when we think about a lamp, we don't think about the kind of lamp that they use. Let me show you the kind of lamp that they use. This is the kind of lamp that they would use. So it was just going to be something that would hold the oil right here, and it would have a wick that would go down in here, and the wick would soak up the oil, and it would burn. So here's what I say. This is not on your outline, by the way. You got your hand out there. This is not on your hand out. I'll show you something here. It's not there. So if you're wondering what happened, it didn't make it in there, okay? Lamps cannot produce light. They only hold light. So this lamp, what it is, is a container. It contains the oil and it contains the wick. It doesn't produce the light. It, it holds the oil and it holds the wick that makes the fire. Are you with me now? So when Jesus says that you're a light, that you're more like a lamp, you're not producing the light. You're containing the light. See, he is the light of the world. You are containing that light. So here we are, John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27 says, Now for you, he's talking to Christians here. The Greek word right here is, is charisma. That's where Jesus Christ, charisma, Christ. Christ means anointed one. Okay? So now the anointing, that's for you, the anointing. That's the Holy Spirit. Once again now, if you're saved, you're in Christ. If you're born again, that means you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. You've got the very essence of God inside of you says that this anointing that you received from him resides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. I don't know what you're doing here this morning, so look at that. You don't need me. <laughs> but as his anointing teaches you about all things, it is true, and it is not a lie. Just as he has taught you, you reside, you make your dwelling, you stay in him. See, the Bible talks about you being saved as positional in Christ Jesus, you remain in him. So why would I read you that verse and say, you don't need me to do any teaching to you? Because here's really what this verse means. This verse means this, that when you see the truth of the word of God, the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to testify, that's the truth. Amen. When you hear the lie, then you know, something inside of you is going to feel kind of funny. When you hear heresy, something inside of you is not going to be right about that. You may not know exactly what it is. You're going to something not right about that. But when you hear the word of God, and that's why, listen, why, you know, we won't, I don't want you to hear me this morning. I don't want to come in here and tell you, give you any kind of a, anything to, that comes from me. I want you to look at the word of God. That's why we go verse by verse through the Bible. Because we want to honor the word of God. That's what transforms lives. Not a preacher, not a sermon, the word of God and the power of God in the Holy Spirit. That's what we're praying for you. So now then, back to that outline we talked about a while ago. Here you go. Here's your first fill in right here. Number one, darkness is not as powerful as light. So darkness, you look Google it, say, what is darkness? Go Google that. Darkness, it isn't really anything. Darkness is the absence of light is what you're going to find when you Google that. 
So it's like, you know, we've got a flashlight. You may have a flashlight, take that flashlight, and you want to shine the light. I don't have a flash dark. Never seen one of those. Never heard one of those. I don't, you know, I never heard of anything going shining darkness into the light. The light comes and the light exposes the darkness. Does that make sense? So look at this. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the word, logos, in Greek right there, capitalized by speaking of Jesus. And logos is the very essence of who God was to the Greeks in the early first century. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. And the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. This is Jesus. Just said this a while ago. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. That's what's holding everything together. In him was life. And that life was what? It was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Nothing will ever overcome the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Adolf Hitler couldn't, he could be burned all the Bibles he wanted, he could burn every single one he could find. He couldn't burn it out. Everybody's ever tried, Pharaoh, he tries pretty much to wipe out the whole, the whole Jewish race right here. We see this over and over again, trying to, to wipe out God's seed because in that seed is going to be Jesus. And in that seed is going to come the word of God that you and I are studying here today. In that seed is going to come our salvation. Nothing will ever wipe that out. The word of God is going to endure forever and ever and ever, world without end. So that's why we honor the word of God. That's why we say this is the inerrant, inspired word of God. We believe it. Now, we're talking about the ten plagues. We're on the ninth plague, man. We're almost down to the tenth one next week. Here we are on the ninth one. Let's go back through this. We see the mercy of God in every one of these plagues, and we see that it goes against all of the Egyptian gods. We saw each one progresses and gets worse. Each plague gets a little bit more intense. Starts off with the plague of blood. The river Nile turns to blood. Then they got all the frogs. Then they got the gnats. Then they got the biting flies. Then pestilence. All the animals start dying off. Then they have bulls breaking out of everybody, even the priests. And then hell comes and destroys almost everything in all of Egypt. And then what's left? The locusts wipe that out. And this week we've got darkness. And you may be thinking, I don't know if I got my choice between, you know, hailstorm and darkness. I think I'd take darkness. I don't see how darkness could be any worse than a hailstorm. You know what I mean? Like, that sounds a whole lot worse. Well, see, here's the situation for you and I. We don't understand what kind of darkness this was. Okay? Let's look at the text this morning. Then Yahweh, this is God's personal name when you see all of it capitalized right here. Then Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven, and there will be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness that not only are you going to be seeing, but a darkness that is a little bit different than what you and I, when we turn out all the lights at night, a darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was a thick darkness, pitch black, throughout the land of Egypt, and not just for one day, not for 24 hours, but for three days. Now, anytime that you see three in the Bible, seven in the Bible, and four in the Bible, there's always something to that, Okay. So where else in the Bible can I ask ourselves do we see that there's going to be darkness and it's going to be tied to the number three? Well, we go to one of the most important events that happened in world history, and that is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was crucified, it says that from noon until three in the afternoon, for three hours, darkness came over the whole land. So whenever Jesus Christ, whenever he took the sins of the world on his shoulders and he paid for your sin debt, it says that darkness came over. Nobody was allowed to look at that in that moment 
whenever God the Son became sin for us and he paid that price. So that's going to leave me number two. Darkness in the Bible, it represents everything that is opposed to God. You think about that in the world that you live in right now. When people talk about darkness, what are they usually talking about, you know? I've stumbled all over, so I'll go ahead and say it now. But, you know, I think about people. Like, you ever heard of anybody who had the title of the Prince of Darkness? Yeah. Y'all know that dude? Yep. Ozzy Osbourne? Some of y'all look shaking your head like, oh, why did you say that in church? <laughs> I don't know. I tried not to, okay? Forgive me for that. Lord, forgive me. But that's what we do. We represent things that are bad with darkness. Things that are good. You go all the way back to the 1920s and the cowboys and Indians and all that. The, the good guy always wore what color hat and the bad guy what color hat. You could distinguish them immediately. You saw them come by the color of their hat that they wore. So Ephesians 6, 12, when he's talking about the church at Ephesus, said Paul's trying to help them get ready for the things you're going to go through. And he says, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. So let me just stop right here for a moment. Let you understand this. You are not fighting against flesh, flesh. You may think you've got an enemy out there that's causing you trouble. You may think there's somebody in your life that's just wearing you out, and they're getting the best of you. The Bible says you're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. You're fighting against there's a spiritual battle behind everything that you face in this life. But you're fighting against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world against mighty powers in this Dark world. So the Bible refers to this world that you're living in as a dark world and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. So there is everything in the Bible when it says dark, black, darkness, not almost every single time that's going to be talking about what is opposed to the goodness of God. So then goes on, it's talking about this darkness that's in Egypt. One person could not see another. And for three days, they did not move. So that's pretty, that's pretty bad. So here's my question. Why didn't they just light a candle? Why didn't they just get a fire going? I mean, so you're telling me that the Bible's saying that the darkness was so bad they couldn't even light a torch. They couldn't even light a candle. They couldn't do any. There was nothing that was allowed to emanate light for three days. I mean, like, there was so, I mean, have you ever been anywhere where it was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face? They couldn't even see one another. It was so dark that no one could even light. I mean, no light was going to work for three days. And yet, here's a bigger miracle of all. All the Israelites had light where they lived. Why is that? God's covenant people. See, when you come into Christ Jesus, you come into what's called the new covenant. This is a covenant relationship that you're in with God, that God is binding you to himself. So here's the good news in that. The good news is this, that when you're in a covenant relationship with God, that God is going to be moving and acting in your life every moment of every day of your life, even when you go off the wrong direction. He's going to be working to get you back in the right direction. He's going to do whatever it takes to bring you back and pull you back into a close, intimate relationship with him. So some of you right now, I'll tell you something. Life is coming unraveled on you. And I would ask you to do this. I would ask you to step back and think about your life for a moment. Why is it coming unraveled? Is it coming unraveled because you went your own way? You see, because everybody wants God to bless them, but very, very few people want to submit to his authority over their life. So I'm asking you this, have you went your own way? Because if, if you went your own way, if you rebelled against God, it might be the most loving thing he can do is to cause everything around you to unravel to get your heart to come back the direction it needs to be. 
Pharaoh summoned Moses, man, he got him in there, and he said, go listen, go worship the Lord. Even your families may go with you. Now, we've seen the last few weeks that with the previous plagues that he's always trying to get Moses to compromise. Pharaoh's just like the devil in this story, by the way. The devil's always trying to get you to compromise on what you believe, to be right and true about the Bible, your relationship with God. So he, at first he says, you can leave, but you know, just, just don't take all of your family with you. Can't take your families. Moses wouldn't do it. Comes back the next time. Says, okay, you can leave. This time, just you can take your families. You know, strong men can go, the young strong men, but not the elderly or the children. Trying to get him to compromise once again. Now he comes back and he says, oh, now even your families may go. Only your flocks and herds must stay behind. Now he's just saying, just leave your animals back here. Now, they are going to worship. Why are they going? But how they worship in the Lord, they worship through sacrifices. So he's saying this, you can go, just leave your stuff here. He's always trying to get Moses to come back. Listen something. Hey, listen, tell you something. When you're in Christ Jesus, the devil can't get you back. Okay? But he's always trying to get you to move away and compromise on what you believe and what you know to be true and what you know to be right in your life. So when you don't give in to temptation, always be prepared for lesser temptations to come. There's always going to be, if you've know, you got this big temptation that you struggle with, here's what I can tell you. If you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're able to resist that temptation, then don't expect no more temptation to happen. There's always going to be more. Sometimes it's lesser, sometimes it's more. There's always more coming after you, okay? Always be prepared for that. Moses responded, you must also let us have our sacrifices and burnt offerings to prepare for the Lord our God. Even our, I love this right here, look at this. Even our livestock must go with it. Not a hoof will be left behind. So you know what Moses is doing here? He's like, there's no more compromise right here, man. You're not going to come back and say, now you know, we're going to bring out the, the best of our herd, lead back the, the little or the lame or anything like that. He says right here, he, he's dealt with Pharaoh enough to know that Pharaoh is going to come back with another compromise. Let me ask you something. Have you dealt with temptation enough to know where your weaknesses are, to know when you are the weakest, to know the strategies that are coming against you to try to get you to fall into temptation? I'll tell you something, your enemy knows. Knows exactly where to get you, how to get you feeling, all that stuff to get you to right to the point to where you will give in. And here's the thing, whenever you give in to temptation, the enemy is always going to try to condemn you and make you feel like a horrible person. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was unwilling to let them go. That's Pharaoh's problem right there, man. He has got a heart problem, and it is a hard one there. Pharaoh said to him, leave me. Make sure you never see my face again. For on the day that you see my face, you will die. So Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's like, I am sick and tired of dealing with you because all you're doing is giving me problems. Now let me ask you something. What was Moses doing? Moses was a prophet of God, and he was bringing Pharaoh the word of God. Pharaoh did not like the word of God. He did not want to hear from the prophet of God. It was never going Pharaoh's way. That leads me to number four. Because Pharaoh's problem was his pride, his selfishness. And selfishness and pride will pull us into the darkness to where we struggle to see the goodness of God. Now, here's what I can tell you. If you're sitting here this morning, or you're watching online, I can tell you this. That if you're struggling to see the goodness of God in your life, now, I'm not, I'm not saying, see, some of you right now are saying, man, David, you don't understand the circumstances that I'm under right now. But I, I can tell you this. 
They may be bad, and I'm not trying to undermine that, but I'm telling you this much. Regardless of how bad your circumstances are, God is always good. He's still good. This world isn't good. This life sometimes isn't so good, but God is always good. So I'm telling you this. If you're struggling to see the goodness of God, then you've got to understand something. Your attention has been diverted the wrong way, and most likely your attention is on yourself. Look at this. Now, now here's one point where th this should make you feel a little better this morning. Because we think of these people in the Bible being perfect. Moses was a person just like us. So evidently, the emotions kind of run high in Moses right here, too. And Moses is like, man, I mean, just like you said, if that's what you want, that's what you get then. I will never see your face again. Moses walking down and said, I don't want to see you either, man. Well, guess what happens in the next plague? He sees him again. That's not inspired the Holy Spirit right there, all right? So just feel better when, when your emotions run a little high like that and you say things. And that leads us to number five. We might escape the messengers of God, but we can never escape the providence of God. He's just trying. He's just thinking, man, if I get away from Moses, all my problems are solved. Uh-oh. Because we've all thought that before. If I just get this person out of my life, all my problems are solved. If I just get out of this job right here, all my problems are solved. Okay, listen, that, prob that person may be a problem. That job may be a problem. I'm not saying that those things aren't problems, but I can tell you this, it doesn't matter where you go, you're still there. Okay? See, some of y'all have experienced, some of y'all have thought, man, I just get away, get out, and you got there, and nothing changed in your heart, and you were, it's, I mean, it's like, it's just a whole new set of problems now. Can we just, you want me to meddle a little bit right now? I'll just start, I'll just start preaching right now. I'll just meddle right now if you want me to. Somebody just said, come on, all right, here I go. Because <laughs> some of y'all, you got away from that person, and you thought, man, they are the devil, they are horrible, and then you got over here, and, and you're like, man, I hate what they say. They were wrong, and you got over here, and then you got around these other people, and they started saying the same thing to you that they said. Hey, listen, what's the common denominator working here, folks, Okay. <laughs> So you got to see something whenever everybody's saying the same, no matter where you go, they're saying the same thing about you or whatever, having the same problems with you. The common denominator is right here. And nobody's saying amen. They're saying oh me now, huh? Amen. <laughs> Glad I came to church this morning. That's just what I came for right there. All right, let's talk about, see, now you are the lamp. You're holding the light. So let's talk about some care instructions. Sometimes you get stuff, and when you get it, it's got the care instructions, you know. Let's talk about this. you got to have some care instructions for you being the lamp, holding the light, okay? So number one, the starting point for everyone. Everyone's walk is darkness. We all start in darkness. None of us start out in the light, okay? That's one thing. It's like it doesn't matter how good of a person we think we are or somebody else is. We all start in the dark. You've got to come to salvation in Jesus Christ first. Nobody's good enough to get to heaven on their own. If that, if that was the case, then Jesus doesn't need to die on the cross for everybody's sins. We all are sin. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need the salvation of Jesus Christ. That is our starting point right there. We all start in the darkness. It says Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness. Hang on a second. Did not say you were walking in darkness. It said at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Number two, only God can reveal to us the way of life. The Apostle Paul, he wrote half the New Testament, okay? 
He authored, God authored, but he wrote out half the New Testament. One of the greatest Christians who ever lived in my estimation. Whenever he was on the road to Damascus, his name was Saul before his conversion experience, okay? When he was on the road to Damascus, he was going to Damascus to persecute the church. He thought he was the right guy on the right path doing the right thing. And then it says, as I was traveling along, he says his own words, approaching Damascus, about noon, whenever the sun is the brightest in the sky, an intense light from heaven, a light brighter than the sun at noontime out there in the desert, okay? Suddenly flashed around me. It was so bright, so intense, so powerful, he fell to the ground. He didn't get up and go, man, there's so much of dark matter around here. <laughs> there was a force that knocked him off of that horse, okay? I fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus said, when you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting me. So you see, only Jesus can show you the way to life. You do understand something, okay? That God has a kingdom purpose, okay? Everything is going to, sooner or later, everything is going to submit to the kingdom purpose of God. I'm telling you right now, folks, hey, listen, this is why I get up here every week and I beat that drum about you reading your Bible and you praying. That is the only way you will know God's kingdom purpose. That's the only way you'll ever even be stirred, the Holy Spirit to stir you in that right direction of your life to join him in his kingdom purpose. Number three, when walking in the light, there are natural temptations to return to the right. I, didn't, I, didn't, I couldn't figure out a better way to articulate this, but here's what I'm saying. You've got natural temptations. Every single one of you do. Because you're wrapped in the flesh. Every, you got sin nature. You can be saved, sanctified, Holy Spirit filled, whatever you want to put on that, but you're still wrapped in the flesh. All of us struggle. All of us, when you're in this world, in this flesh you're in right now, you're always going to have temptation. Here's what temptation is going to be. The temptation is never going to be to read your Bible or to pray more. That's not the temptation from your flesh. The temptation is always going to be something to pull you back to the darkness. And here's why I'm telling you it's natural, because you like it. You want it, you desire, your flesh wants it, and you like it, and you desire it. It's a natural thing to pull you off of that pathway of light more into the darkness. Number four, here's what I need right here, church. Hey, listen, I wish that somebody would have helped me with this years ago. Only when we taste the sweetness of following Jesus will the darkness become bitter. Man, my meditation of him shall be sweet of the Lord. Man, I will be glad in the Lord. Listen, now I know that whenever I talk about you reading your Bible, listening to a Bible out, praying more and all that, I know what we can do. We can like check off the list, become legalistic with it and think, man, it works, works-based blessings or whatever it may be. But here's what I'm telling you. When you get to the point to where when you're reading your Bible and you're praying and you're coming to church like this and it fills your heart with joy, you're tasting the sweetness of the Lord right there. And whenever you, listen, when you get a taste of that in your soul, the darkness will no longer be something that you want. It will become bitter to you. So here's what I know. I know this much, that whenever I see temptation and that temptation looks sweet to me, I know this much, something's wrong right here. Right here, I've not been feeding that with the sweetness of Jesus enough. If that is appealing to me, that darkness is. Man, here you go. Three ways. There's a, probably about a million ways that Satan tempts us, okay? So this is not all-encompassing right here. I've only got three right here this morning, okay? Just three ways this morning I'll talk to you about. 
He tempts us to coddle and cherish our pet sins. You realize all of us got a pet sin, right? I'm saying, listen, you, you, you have got a pet sin, okay? Every single one of us, you may be sitting here right now going, I ain't got no pet sin. Okay, listen, denial is not just a river in Egypt, okay? And I'm telling you, you got blind spots, all right? Every single one of us have got pet sins. We've got these sins that we justify, that we call it, you know, I mean, we just, we hold on to that pet sin and we love that sin and we justify why I've got to have this and our flesh and the world are in communion on this. They want it. It's like, this is good for me. I need this. Listen, you can justify and do all that you want to. That's why it's your pet sin. And listen, the temptation is for you to cherish. And here's what happens. Anybody comes along and looks at that and says, oh, see, that's your baby. Somebody comes along and looks at your baby and they're like, oh, that is horrid. Why are you doing? You get offended. You get your feelings hurt. You bow up. You get prideful. You don't admit to it. So that's what the temptation is. Look at this. For the flesh, your sin nature, it desires what is against the spirit, the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Can anybody in the church say amen this morning? Number two, he tempts you to self-condemnation rather than to conviction, to repentance. Because here's one thing that I know about the temptation. It's just like the devil will get out in front of you, and he will just lead you along this temptation. You deserve this. You need this. You work so hard. Man, this is what you deserve in your life. You, and get all of our self-entitlement, all of our, we're coming along with our self-entitlement behind them. That's right, I do. I deserve this. Man, I work so hard. I need this. Nobody understands. And we just fall right into that. And then whenever we grab a hold of the, the temptation, we take the temptation, then the devil comes out from behind us, and he gets over on the back of us and starts beating us over the head and says, you sorry thing. You are not. How can you be a Christian? How can you do this? Self-condemnation. He always will turn on you as soon as you grab the bait. Now, what is conviction to repentance? See, self-condemnation is bondage. Conviction, as the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin, drawing me to repentance, to confess it, turn away from it, that leads to freedom. Are you walking in freedom today? Are you walking in bondage? Hey, listen, listen. I've been, listen, I, I know this many people in here there are many of you right now that you're in bondage to some kind of sin. There's something that you've confessed a million times, and you're like, God, help me, and all this kind of stuff, and you want God to forgive you, and you want God to take it out of your life, and it just stays right there. Let me tell you something. At the root of your problem is this right here. Some of you right now, as I'm talking, you're like, man, I sure hope he doesn't look at me because that's me. Hey, listen, I don't know, but I know this much. I know that whenever you are in that self-condemnation that your flesh and the world and the devil are all working against you. And I'm here to tell you today that you can find freedom in Christ Jesus. You can find it in that. But here's the thing. It comes with a caveat. You've got to be willing to love him more than you love that sin. You've got to be willing to love him more than you love yourself. You've got to be willing to love him above everything else. I'm telling you this much right now. If I'm in bondage to any kind of sin, that is an indictment on me that I don't love him supremely. I need help with that. You're in the right place. You need to be praying, reading the Bible, fellowshipping, studying your Bible, other people praying with you, other people who've been through it to help you through that yourself. Don't stay in isolation. The devil wants you to stay in isolation. Did you realize, see, some of y'all this morning had a hard time getting here, didn't you? Some of y'all, I mean, it was a hard road for you to get here today because this is the place where your first step to freedom can be right here. Number three, uh-oh, he tempts you at business. I thought that business was a blessing. I thought that, man, when I'm, when I'm busy, that's a good thing right there. 
Maybe it is. I'm not saying it isn't, but I'm telling you this much, though, is that you can be so busy with good things that you miss the best thing. And then a lot, listen, I want to tell you something right now, okay? Everybody, if you listen to me, say amen. amen. The devil doesn't mind you getting busy with church work just as long as you don't experience any life transformation. You can come to every time the doors are open, do everything the church does, and be just as unchanged as ever in your heart. And the devil's good with that. He wants that, as a matter of fact. He wants you to go to church and not change any. So don't think that, oh, if I get real busy and doing all this kind of church work and everything, that I'm on the right track. That doesn't necessarily mean you're on the right track. I'm going to tell you, listen, the measurement is always a transformation of your heart. If you come in here and you sit in that seat and you suffer through this every week and you walk out of here and there's nothing changing in your heart, hey, listen, I don't know how to say this any nicer than this. Maybe you should go somewhere else. I mean, I'm, I know that, that's, that's strange to hear that, whatever. Maybe this isn't working for you. Maybe you need to go somewhere. I don't know. I'm telling you this much. Something isn't working. If you come in here and nothing's changing, say, man, but I want to go because this and this. Then get somebody to pray for you. Something's not right. Okay? And I don't realize this much, too, that our church isn't for everybody. Everybody isn't going to come to this church, but, man, this is the greatest church on the face. I realize that. It's, it's a certain, here's the thing about a church, okay? I'll help you with this. The church is about the culture. There's a whole bunch of churches out there preaching the same message we're preaching. It's all about the culture. If you come and the culture is something that you, 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 you move and it moves inside of you, then you're sitting in the right place. And here's what, here, listen, here's what I want you to understand. We are not about filling up all. We're thankful that you're here. We're not, but our goal is not to get butts in the seat. Our goal is that you will allow the Holy Spirit to transform your life. That's what this is all about. All right. You got to make sure that your oil level is maintained. We are wrapping this thing up right now, okay? And I'm not even at 11 o'clock yet. We are doing good this morning, by the way. <laughs> Video and all. So here it is. That what I got to do to make sure that the oil level stays up in my Lamp to make, because i got to have oil, okay? i got to have that oil in there, all right? As I've got to focus on the infinite beauty of God, your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. Man, listen, when I have got that, when I see how beautiful God is, and I see that, listen, there is nothing that compares to his beauty. When I get that vision of who God is, then, man, listen, I am going to be drawn to him. And it's not going to take anybody else. I don't have to have anybody else even help me with that. When I read that Bible, it's going to stir my affections for Jesus. Whenever I pray, man, I'm going to feel closer to God than I've ever felt before. That is, that is what we're talking about here. That will keep that Holy Spirit all level high. Then number two, God being the fountain of all that is good to the soul. Singers and dancers alike will say, my whole source of joy is in you. Let me ask you something. Where's your source of joy? Now, now listen, I want you to hear me just a moment, okay? There are things that we experience in this life that will hinder our kingdom joy. I'm not going to deny that. I mean, there's times, there's stuff all the time. I'll be, I'll be walk, I, mean, I, just, I walk in the kitchen many times, but she'll be doing something right there. And I'll tell her, man, listen, this is killing my kingdom joy. And it is. I mean, like, it is like hampering my, but here's what I understand. That thing that's driving me crazy, that's hampering my kingdom joy, it's not the source of my joy. Do you hear me? My point is this, is that there's only one source of joy. I can experience things in this life that hinders that joy, but there's only one source, one fountain right here. My whole source, it is in you, God. There's nothing else. 
It's not going to be my family. It's not my wife. It's not my children, my grandchildren, my job, my career, my money, what my health, whatever. That is not my source of joy only found in Christ. That will keep that, that, will keep that lamp full of oil right there when I get that. One more. The soul realizing that Jesus is infinitely worthy of all honor. So this morning we sang Revelation song. In the very end, when it's all said and it's all wrapped up, the Bible says in Revelation that we will sing a new song. Okay? And that's what that whole Revelation song is written around right there. Look at this. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. So, hey, say, listen, guys, I want to tell you something, all right? When it comes to listening to worship music and all that, I mean, I'm not the upper echelon of people that love to listen to worship music, okay? Just be honest with you. I'm not. But here's what I know. I do enjoy it. I know it's a lot of people that enjoy it a whole lot more than I do, but I do enjoy it. But listen, if there was not any kind of worship music that I liked and I didn't like worshiping the Lord or singing to the Lord or anything like that, here's what would concern me. That whenever I leave this life and I go over Passover into eternity, the Bible says we're going to be worshiping the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. So how am I going to make this wonderful trans, transition and be like, oh, yeah, love worshiping the Lord now. I didn't when I was there on earth. You know, they're in that life, but I do now. Look at this. Here's what it says. The 24 elders, they fall down before the one seated on the throne. That's Jesus. And they worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. And they say, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. And by your will, they exist and they were created. And there's this worship service going all the time. Listen, we just got through worshiping Christmas, you know. So whenever the angels, whenever the shepherds saw the angels and they're singing glory to God and all that kind of stuff, the angels were just doing on earth what they've been doing in heaven. It's just like they just got to see a preview of like what's going on in heaven right now. That is what's happening in heaven right now. So when you come to worship the Lord, when you sing praises to the Lord, whenever you commune together, you're just joining in with what's happening in heaven right now. You're doing it there on earth. We pray your kingdom come. We pray your will be done on earth as it is in. Wow, see, y'all know that verse, don't you? Speaking of verses, look at this. Jesus. So there's a festival in Jerusalem they had every year, the Festival of Lights. What they were doing is they were remembering whenever the whole nation of Israel, whenever they left Egyptian bondage, and they went out into the wilderness, and God led them with what? His Shekinah glory, what was it? Pillar of fire. fire. Shined up there in front of them, nighttime, daytime, there it was. So when they come together and they have this festival, whenever Jesus was alive, they would come together and they'd go up to the temple and they'd get there at the temple and there at nighttime when everything was dark, they would distinguish all the lights and the priest would get out there and he would light a torch and he would talk about how that God was the light of all men, that he's a light of everybody, a light of all creation. So Jesus went to that festival and when he went to that festival, it says that he stood up with a loud voice right there in front of everybody and Jesus spoke to them again and he said, now I'm the light of the world. It's a great I am statement. He said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me, are you following Jesus today? Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. Doesn't say you're going to weave in and out. Will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's good news today, isn't it? 
Do you have Jesus? Are you walking in the light? Hey, listen, if you are, that is because he has given you a wonderful gift. Man, what a gift this is. You're living in a dark world, dark times, but you got the light of life. Would you please stand this morning? So it's interesting, too, that I, I, I never knew this until we started studying the book of Exodus, that every one of the plagues that has a parallel in the book of Revelation as well. And so right here, it says in Revelation chapter 16, verses 10 and 11, it says, and the fifth, talking about the bowl, the fifth bowl was poured out on the throne of the beast. So you got the beast and that's ruling right there at that time during the tribulation. And it said, and its kingdom was plunged in the dark. Isn't that interesting? The beast kingdom is plunged in the darkness. And see, here's what we don't understand. We don't understand how bad that is. Because like, this is not a darkness like you and I have ever experienced. Here's the proof. People nod their tongues because of their pain. So that agony, that darkness, drove them to gnaw their own tongues, or, or it will drive them. This is going to happen in the future. And they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. So, you know, I've said this a million times, and I'll say it a million times more. One of the proofs that the Holy Spirit is inside of you, that you've been born again, that you're redeemed, one of the proofs is this, is that whenever you hit hard times, instead of you turning away from God, you turn to God. So if you think, if you, listen, if you feel guilty because something bad happened and you turn to God, I want to tell you something, that's not from the Holy Spirit. If something bad happens to my kids and they turn to me, I'm not like shaming them. I'm not glad that they did. I love my children. Glad they turned to me. So, and I am, I am nothing compared to the kind of father that God is to you. So don't feel shame and don't feel condemnation. Whenever bad things happen, you turn to God. It is a good thing. It is a good sign that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. But here's the question I gotta ask myself today. As I read Revelation, which side am I gonna be on when it's all said and done, when it's all wrapped up? Am I gonna be on the side that's singing holy, holy, holy? Or am I gonna be on the side that's gonna be not gnashing their teeth and not repenting, blaspheming God? So that's a, listen, it's a bad sign when you hit hard times and you start blaspheming God. Okay? Have you done that? I would encourage you to repent today. And maybe that God led you here today just to hear this, to remind you of that so you can be like, you know, I need to ask for God to forgive me and grant me repentance from that. To blaspheme means to speak against. To blaspheme means to say that God is bad instead of good. So God, we come to you today and we pray. And we thank you for your goodness and your grace over our lives, oh God. God, thank you for salvation. So maybe right now, maybe the Holy Spirit's dealing with you. Just take this opportunity to pray. Just whatever you feel the Holy Spirit, there's something you need to ask forgiveness for.
So I'll just I encourage you to pray. Just ask God to grant you the, the ability to repent from that. Because it's He that gives you the ability to repent. I would encourage you to pray to bring whatever it is, that greatest struggle you've got right now, to bring it under His kingdom authority rule. You just pray something like this. Say, God, just I, I pray that, that you would allow me to bring and just whatever the struggle is under your kingdom authority rule. Are you struggling with someone right now? You think that they're ruining your life? Then I would encourage you to bring that under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus. Maybe your job. Maybe your health. Maybe your finances. Doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going to work out the way that you want it to work out, but what it means is that God will change your perspective and give you the ability to see what he's doing in your crisis and grant you the desire and ability to join him in what he's doing. Are there some people that you need to forgive this morning? So God, I pray that you just help me forgive and just put that name in there. God, help me to see the true battle that's taking place here with them. So this morning we're going to take communion. So if you, this is for you, if you're saved, if, you've, if you're not saved, you're not in Christ, then communion is not for you. But this is for you if you're saved, and if you got unforgiveness in your heart towards someone else, I'd encourage you not to take communion. That's not for you. So if the people that are saved and the people who don't have bitterness and unforgiveness in their heart, communion is for you. We're going to commune with the Lord, and we're going to commune with one another. So we've got up here at the front, two spots where we've got the communion elements, and then we've got another spot right there in front of the sound table so you can send someone from your family to go and get that for you, and you have a seat once they head out. And if somebody hands you the elements and you don't want to take communion, don't feel like you have to. You can just hold on to it, put it back in the basket when you head out on your way out today. So don't feel obligated if you don't feel like this is the right time for you to take communion. So if you would, look at the screen, please. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Paul's writing the church of Corinth, and he says, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, he took some bread. So they're, 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 um, they're having the Passover meal. Man, next, next week we're going to start getting into that with the last, the 10th plague right there. It's going to start really, it's going to finally start getting good next week, so you don't want to miss that. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he, and he said, this is my body. So the bread, so what he's saying right here is that this bread right here, that it's representative of his body. Which, which for you, do this. So what, what happens, what's about to happen? This is a night before his crucifixion. So he's about to be crucified the next day. We, talked, we saw that a while ago when darkness came over all the earth when he was crucified, when he paid the, the sin debt for the whole world. So what he's saying right there is that 
when we take this, and let's, let's go ahead and let's, let's open it up. If you haven't yet, let's take out that, the bread. That this right here, that this represents his body that was broken and given for our sin. That we can be forgiven of all of our sins. So he took, he took our place. He hung between heaven and earth to intercede for us. For us here on earth that are full of sin so that the wrath of God can be poured out on him, the sinless one, 100% God, 100% man. All the wrath of God's poured out on him. So now in Christ Jesus, we come under that atoning sacrifice where none of the wrath of God comes on us. So this is our opportunity to come. We come to the table. We sit down at the table with Jesus right now. And what we're doing is we're saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that none of that wrath is poured out on me. So we have communion. We pray together. If you feel comfortable, you can pray out loud with me. And you don't have to pray out loud. That's up to you. So if you want to pray with me, let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your body. You're my God, my King, my Lord, and my Savior. Let's eat. Looking at the screen, in the same way, also he took the cup. After supper, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's go ahead and let's open up. If you haven't yet, let's open to the juice up. So the juice, representative of the blood of Christ, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So there had to be a sacrifice for your sins. And Jesus willingly did that, laid down his life, shed his blood on the cross, that all of your sin debt can be paid for. So whenever he took that cup, they were having the Passover. And this cup, you know, they were, they were observing the old covenant. He says, now there's a new covenant. And this covenant is in my blood. So thankful today, dear church, that we're in the new covenant because now all of our sins are forgiven. Our position is in Christ. What a beautiful, wonderful thing that is. So won't you just, right now, we're back at the table of Jesus. We're sitting across from Jesus, and we're telling him thank you. So if you want to, you can pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you for the new covenant. You're my God, my King, my Lord, and my Savior. Let's drink in faith. All right, if you would, let's please stand. Hey, so today, you know, if you've got questions or you've got concerns or anything like that, you'd like somebody to pray with you, don't leave out of here without getting somebody to pray. I'll be up here at the front. There'll be other people around. Prayer team people will be around. Just hanging around here to see if anybody needs to be prayed for. So if you've got questions or anything like that, feel free to do that. We want to pray for you. Don't want you to leave out of here today not making sure that everything is right between you and God. If you've got any questions or any concerns there, we want to help you with that. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you. Thank you for salvation, for renewal, for forgiveness of sins. God, thank you for your word. 
God, thank you that we can come to this place together, gather together, worship you, study your word, commune, pray, all these things as the body of Christ. We're so grateful for that, God. We thank you for that. We thank you. You're so good to us. So God, I pray that you would help us that are in Christ to realize our identity in Christ as we walk out of here today. God, I pray today that no one would leave out of here that's in Christ Jesus and, and walk out under the condemnation of sin. God, I pray today that you would not allow anybody to walk out of here in, under any bondage to any sin. But God, today that you would set the captives free right here among us that we would all experience the freedom in Christ. God, help us to remember as we leave out of here that we are lamps. We're not producing the light. We're, we're merely holding the light. God, help us to take care of, steward well what you've given us, God. So as you leave out of here today, I want to pray number 624 through 26 over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace as you go in Jesus' name.